Hi, I'm Paul Haverschrud, host of The Cost of Living. It's a show about money and how it shapes our lives. In big ways, like why inflation could get worse if we all make more money. Here's the hard truth in all of this. Workers are going to have to eat that real wage loss. And small ways, like what's the fastest way to order fast food? That first Big Mac that comes out of the kitchen is going to the drive-thru. Check out The Cost of Living. We're on CBC Listen or wherever you get podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. A number of our loyal subscribers have asked us to do an episode on how to stay hydrated. This is of great personal interest because I run year-round, and yet I don't pay enough attention to hydration. And I have to confess that I'm not sure that I know how the pros do it. Uh, So this week we're asking, how do I know if I'm properly hydrated? Hi, Jane. Welcome back to The Dose. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me. Great to be back. It is great to to speak to you, and I want to ask you something. When you were training professionally, what was the one water rule that you always followed? It's interesting that every coach has their own nuance, and as you can well imagine, all athletes are pretty ritualistic about these things, and I would say that we would drink to thirst, and we had essentially a rule, a hard, fast rule, that if you pass 60 minutes, you had to start replacing with electrolytes and that kind of thing. But otherwise, uh, an hour or less, you'd be on water alone. Wow, I've never heard that before, which means I've come to the right place. So uh, I'm looking forward to this this discussion. Before we begin, can you give us a hi, my name is, tell us what you do and where you do it. Great, okay, hi, my name is Dr. Jane Thornton. I'm a clinician scientist and out of London, Ontario, and I'm a sports medicine physician as well as researcher in physical activity and sport. And I am a former Olympic athlete in the sport of rowing. Okay, let's start with the question that will be on almost everybody's mind. It's a very common question around water. Do most people need eight glasses of water per day, regardless of whether they're, they're exercising or not? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And I get this question a lot, too. And it's, it's been this ongoing debate, I think, over the last few decades in the sense of what is what is the reason behind this magical number of eight uh, glasses of water per day, especially when we consider that there's so many other factors that could come into why and how we stay hard, hydrated. But interestingly, there, there, was a, there was a study that when researchers looked at water intake and patterns of more than 5,000 people across 26 countries, they found that how much water our bodies actually require depends on several factors, and, and we know this, and we've and other researchers have alluded to it, but I think it just came in quite concisely uh, through this study. And essentially looking at environment has a factor, as we can think about ambient temperature, things like that. Health status and also the kind of medications that we take uh, play a role in also age. So, um, and even within that physical health aspect, what your body composition is like and your activity level can can really contribute to it, what we we know as daily water turnover. So how much water you're inputting and outputting, what that looks like. So some people can be as little as one liter a day and some people can be as much as 10 liters a day. And if you think about one glass of water, that's about you know 240 mils. So it really can vary. So in terms of this eight glasses of water per day, probably there's no magic behind that number and it might hit a number of people, but uh, in general, uh, there's, it's, it's essentially a, a bit of a myth. 
Uh, any idea where that original advice came from? I, I think it was in general when you look at uh, the average sized individual, so say let's have 70 kilo male uh, of average health, let's say, you know, in 20, age 20 to 30, that kind of thing. And then and the similar sized woman might be about 60 kilos or along those lines. It, it, was, it was a bit of an arbitrary number, but looking at uh, essentially where we fall into the middle of that in terms of liters per day and water turnover. But this was the first study that was actually looking at labeled water, so following the actual turnover. Um, when we think about people drinking to thirst and things like that, it can average out to something along those lines about eight glasses of water a day. So it wouldn't steer anyone wrong per se, but it's not necessarily a magic number for everyone. So in a very practical sense, what's the best way to know if you need to drink water? The mainstay of this, and really the study confirmed it, but essentially we should be drinking according to thirst. That doesn't always work, but it's good guidance for most of us. So if you're healthy, um, if you essentially kind of within 20 to 60, 70 years of age, uh, and of course that there's no hard and fast rule there either, but essentially if you're drinking according to thirst and listening to what your body is telling you, you're probably doing okay. The other part is just checking in terms of urine color. If it's essentially clear or pale yellow, you're probably doing okay. If it's a darker, color, then you may not be drinking enough. So that's kind of a subjective rule and an objective rule in the sense of something to look for and something to feel for. The problem where we get into the nuances of when that doesn't work are for people at extreme um, age ranges or that when they may have a decreased sensation of thirst. So as we get older, our sensation of thirst decreases. And, and you know, you can imagine the young kids and babies and so on that may not be able to really vocalize that they are thirsty or even recognize that sensation. So where it works for most of us, it doesn't work for all of us. And, and those at other ends of the spectrum may actually require more hydration just because um, they may not be as attuned to the the thirst sensation. You know, it's interesting, Jane. I I don't know where I got this, but but somewhere I I absorbed the message that if you wait until you feel thirsty, you're actually beyond the point at which you should be hydrating yourself. Is there any truth to that? Yeah, and I've heard that as well. And and essentially, I think if you're waiting to, I guess it really depends on where your attention is is. Place, right? A lot of us are in front of screens for a lot of the day and we may be distracted and we may not be paying attention to our bodily sensations and being attuned to that. So that hunger and thirst, we kind of put that aside as we're focused on work and things like that. And, and, I, and I, so I get that in the sense that if you're really thirsty, it's too late. But that's been for the for the and I've I certainly have heard that before. But that myth has been for the large part debunked. But again, it really depends, I guess, on where our attention is. We can certainly put that off. And when it comes to feeling those symptoms of dehydration, then then you're right that maybe that especially as we go down that spectrum of symptoms, you may actually say, well, I should have probably had some water much earlier uh, than this. I have heard of marathoners and ultramarathoners driving down their, their sodium levels by drinking lots of plain water that has no salt in it. So what's the danger in having too much water on board? Right. So it's interesting. About 30 years ago, it wasn't that much long, not long ago, so maybe 30, 40 years ago, it used to be that the the advice for marathoners were not to drink water. And 
So they would actually have the opposite effect of uh, not having enough water on board and, and having too much sodium um, or not being able to replenish any of the sweat losses. And then that changed to the where the thinking was actually really try to hydrate people as much as possible. And they started seeing an opposite problem specifically in that population. Uh, this was out of South, a research out of South Africa. But essentially, when you drink too much water, your kidneys can't get rid of that excess water. So the sodium content of your blood actually becomes diluted. And so that's something that we call hyponatremia. And it basically means low blood sodium and, uh, and, and it can be life-threatening. And, and so we need some sodium in our bloodstream to control how much water is in and around the cells of our body. So when we don't have enough sodium to help mitigate that and help kind of control the water in and around those cells, then things, uh, a lot of things can happen as a result. So, so is hydrating with water a good idea in general? So it definitely can be, and, and the the rule of thumb, as I mentioned before, where it still it still stays pretty well in terms of if you're working out for it really depends on people's sweat rate, and and we can get into that a little bit more, but on how intense the exercise is and ambient temperature and so on. But you know, under about an hour, you're probably fine replacing fluid losses with water, so still being able to drink water, uh, and then replace it with something else like electrolytes. You know, our, our very sharp-eared listeners, subscribers, you know, they may hear the danger. You know, oh, there's danger to, to, to replenishing fluid loss with water uh, when you're exercising. You're really talking about extreme athletes who are at risk of driving their sodiums down to dangerous level. Everybody else, like if you're exercising for under an hour, that's just not likely to happen unless you've got some medical condition that causes you to, uh, to, to lose uh, sodium in preference to water. Exactly. And those are two important points. So the first one being, as you said, it's really more the intense exercise that will cause this to be even more uh, depleted more markedly, but also when you're uh, thinking beyond that kind of hour mark into the two hours and so on. And some people, if they're going for a brisk walk, they can push that hour mark and be okay. So some of it is a bit trial and error and seeing how you feel. But this is more the intense exercise of really pushing and then trying to uh, replace all fluid losses with strictly water and, and no other type of re replenishment or replacement. And, and that's when they can get into trouble. But And the second point, I think, is a, it's a very important point as well in the sense that there may be other factors involved. It's not just uh, an intense exerciser, but for people on certain medications, so diuretics or what people you know know as water pills or some antidepressants and pain medications, they may make you have to urinate more or sweat more and that can affect sodium level as well. Or if someone has a pre-existing health problem or hormonal imbalance, uh, all sorts of things, even some of the medications or, or even some um, drugs that people will be taking, uh, so amphetamines for example, all may be driving uh, some more of this water loss and so um, certainly there's other aspects uh, to, to check in, especially if you're thinking about doing intense exercise to make sure you're replenishing uh, fluid losses correctly. Okay, you are past that hour. You're more of an extreme athlete. You know, you, you're training for a half marathon, a marathon, an ultra marathon. What kind of fluids are we talking about? There's Gatorade, there's Powerade, there's Pedialyte. What do you prefer? What do you recommend? Right. Yeah. So I, I don't have a certain brand that I would recommend because I do think it is very individual, but certainly some of the some of the different combinations of um, electrolytes can differ across different brands. So for those that are intensely exercising and preparing for something, 
what we do in, in you know, professional and, and international level uh, sports is really, you'll know that the, the athletes know exactly what they, that what works for them. So it is trial and error, but it's trial and error, not within a competition setting, but in training. So trying to understand, try a few, try to see what works for you. You're essentially looking at electrolyte replacement, which are minerals such as sodium, calcium, potassium, chloride, phosphate, magnesium. And so they're, they're, in the body to help balance the amount of water in the body and so they essentially they can also help remove waste from cells and help muscles in the brain work properly so but you can also think about other ways of replacing that so some people will um, so for example salt si sodium content as we know bananas higher potassium watermelon has good uh, electrolyte content but also water content as well so you can you don't necessarily need to go to the most expensive brand or uh, electrolyte specific drinks or mixes but really i would would highly recommend that those who are trying to invest in more of this that are looking at more intense exercise or longer exercise to really try these things out during training and see what keeps your energy levels uh, and, and yourself kind of in your top form. You're a former Olympian. When you were doing longer training, would you hydrate during in the middle of the training? And if so, how? Yeah, we have. Uh, so we have uh, the luxury of having uh, a boat that we can throw in water bottles and, and things like that. But you know, as I said, athletes can be quite precise in what they do. So you wouldn't want to carry on too much water, especially if you're racing, because that would weigh the boat down. And this is the same thing that we see in, in endurance athletes uh, or in cyclists and so on. You want something that doesn't weigh very much and or even runners, right? A lot of them, a lot of people really hate using those uh belts around their waist to hold all their different fluids and rather just be thirsty. One of the ways that the pros do it is essentially if they know they're going out for more than an hour, they may need more uh, fluid replacement. And you don't have to do this every day by any means, but getting a sense of how you, how your sweat rate is uh, functioning for you so on an individual basis. So weigh yourself prior to an intense workout and uh, without any clothes on, just weigh yourself, try to get a sense of where you're at, that number, go out for your training session, come back, weigh yourself after, and that gives you a sense of how much fluid you'll need to replace. So sometimes, if you lose one kilo, then you will have to replace that with one liter of water. So it helps you gauge how much fluid you will need to take with you on those training runs or uh, competitive sessions. Interesting, so, so clearly, um, that rule will change depending on uh, whether you're exercising uh, during the summer when it's hot uh, versus exercising in the, during the winter. And if you're scientific about it and weigh yourself, you're just going to find that you weigh less if you, if you didn't rehydrate uh, during your training run during the summer. Yeah, exactly. It's so you'll you'll get a sense of it. I, you know, you can try to do it at, in a seasonal basis. I, I think the the understanding too is that I mean, some people will say, "Well, I don't need water because I'm training and running in winter environment, or I'm at the gym inside that kind of thing. I'm not outside in the heat." But even though less sweat does lead to that lower water requirement, you, if you think about things like on in indoors, for example, central heating causes these drier interior environments during the winter, so that can actually dry out. Um, and, and essentially, you will need to rehydrate just based on that alone. Amina is an activist during the Arab Spring. Her blog, Gay Girl in Damascus, attracts readers from around the world. When she's mysteriously abducted, her followers mobilize, desperate to save her. What they find shocks them. 
I'm Samira Moyedin, the host of Gay Girl Gone, a new six-part series from CBC. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. We've talked about the importance of hydrating. What are some of the symptoms of dehydration? Great question. Um, even but so even minor dehydration, you can start feeling difficulty concentrating, poor memory, bad moods. Uh, when we start getting worse symptoms, so in adults, you'd start seeing darker colored urine, which is more of a sign than a symptom, but you'd start thinking about um, some people can get dizzy, feel lethargic or fatigued. You can certainly get dry skin and, and those kinds of things. And in, you know, in infants and children, they show up differently, certainly. I mean, that's when you just start seeing a drier mouth or if they're crying and they're not, they don't have the same kind of tears or, or if they don't have the same number of wet diapers. I mean, certainly that's a whole other, whole other topic when we're thinking about infants and children because, again, they can't voice um, their thirst as much. So, but essentially, all of these things continue to worsen for adults um, and kids if you're if you're not continually replacing their fluids, thinking about more severe symptoms, so faster breathing, increased heart rate, those kinds of things, and low blood pressure, and on it goes. So, again, it, it at the uh, at the extreme, we start thinking um, just in terms of body systems not working properly just because of that lack of water. And severe, severe dehydration can cause organ failure at the very extremes, right? Most of us will never get there. Um, but really, when we're, that's not what's going to happen on a daily basis to us. But what we might start attributing or understanding is even these, these symptoms like headaches, kind of mid, midday headaches or difficulty concentrating, thinking about are we actually hydrating enough? Are we actually taking in enough water even even in the kind of work that we're doing? And and uh, certainly from my medical training, those who are most vulnerable to dehydration, you've already mentioned infants, uh, frail seniors, people with uh, serious medical conditions. I got it right? Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, the, the athletes that are engaged in strenuous activities certainly are vulnerable. Um, but, I mean, that's a simple replacement for them. And, and, and also those that are on fluid restriction for certain reasons, so maybe incontinence or heart failure. So, the, And the other thing just to remember, too, is that when we're ill, any of us, uh, is another time where we may not be thinking about hydrating enough and uh, it's certainly a time that can cause cause dehydration. As, as many of us are going through these illnesses through the, the fall and winter season. Uh, what about over-the-counter uh, cold and sinus remedies? Uh, can they contribute to dehydration? You know, it's interesting because a lot of them have different medications, different preparations. So some of the the preparations uh, include antihistamines that can sometimes cause some uh, dehydration. You can see some of them with the NSAIDs, so the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory uh, drugs. Although they're not high risk, they may, they may uh, increase your requirements for staying hydrated. One of our listeners wanted to know if there are any long-term health effects of dehydration. You know, it's a great question. I think that but we, we think about dehydration as well in some cases, and this is more thinking about cardiovascular health, but that dehydration in and of itself has been linked with inflammation. So things like artery stiffness and even blood pressure regulation, this may come back to the effects on the kidneys. So those other facts may, of course, raise the risk of heart disease and stroke, although it's a bit of a stretch, and I think probably we need to do more studies to, to really understand the, if there's any causal link or if it's just uh, association. There's probably something out there. I think we probably need more studies to, to look at a direct cause and effect, um, but certainly this idea of being hydrated throughout the lifetime is, is, um, is, is a good one. 
This also happens to be the time of year when people are socializing and drinking more alcohol. So how can you marry the two the, together? How, how can people stay properly hydrated, make sure that they're staying properly hydrated, especially if they're going to more parties and drinking more alcohol and trying to exercise in between? It's a good question because not everyone also wants to be drinking water all the time. I, I think there's some people that just get tired of it. And so even so if you're exercising, of course, we talked about water, we talked about the fact that if you're exercising for more than an hour, you may want to replenish with electrolytes. For those that are drinking alcohol, again, this is a rule of thumb, but for every alcoholic drink you have, try to have a 16 ounce glass of water if you can. We don't need to be uh, held to a certain number of glasses of water, but making sure that throughout the day that as much as you can try to find some sources that are making sure you can keep those energy levels up because I think everyone's going to have a much more enjoyable uh, December and January and so on by thinking just having this one little piece checked off the list to keep their energy levels or concentration levels and so on so that they can continue to be active but still have those social events as well. Dr. Jane Thornton, uh, thank you so much for uh, helping us with good information on how to stay hydrated. You're welcome. It's always a pleasure. Dr. Jane Thornton is a sports medicine physician and Canada Research Chair in Injury Prevention and Physical Activity for Health at Western University. Here's your dose of smart advice. It's important to stay hydrated to maintain optimal health. The general advice to drink eight glasses of water per day is arbitrary. Daily water requirements can vary a lot. They depend on your age, health status, and the medications you take. Diuretics, prescription amphetamines, anti-inflammatories, and over-the-counter cough and cold remedies can make you urinate more. If you exercise, you will lose water by sweating and you need to replace it. The scientific way to do that is to weigh yourself before and after exercise. You need one liter of water for every kilogram you lose. For a rough and ready guide, if you exercise for an hour or less, you probably don't need to drink fluids while exercising. Doing so becomes important if you train for 60 to 90 minutes or more. You can replenish fluids with plain water, sports drinks, or Pedialyte. Try several of them so you can decide which is best for you. If you don't like drinking fluids during training sessions, try pieces of banana, watermelon, cantaloupe, or spinach, all of which contain lots of water. Caffeine is a diuretic. If you rehydrate with caffeinated beverages, you'll lose more water than if you hydrate with other kinds of fluids. Avoid rehydrating with alcohol. It's important to know the symptoms of dehydration. Mild dehydration causes irritability, headache, and poor concentration. Moderate dehydration causes your urine to become dark and causes symptoms like dizziness and lethargy. Thirst is certainly one indication of dehydration, just keep in mind that for some people, by the time they feel thirst, they're significantly behind in their fluids. If you have topics you'd like discussed or questions answered, our email address is thedose at cbc.ca. You can find The Dose wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, please rate us five stars so more people can find us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Stephanie Dubois. Technical support was by Gary Francis. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. If you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca/podcasts.